Certainly a great blessing to see each one of you here today. <clears throat> Very much enjoyed the song service this morning. I uh, told Coulter what my subject was, and I feel like he pretty well preached the sermon with the songs that he selected. Uh, certainly some very good songs, good words for us to uh, be reminded of. Last Sunday, Brian Mooney spoke of pop culture. He mentioned pop culture. That wasn't the subject that he covered, but he talked about pop culture and the amount, just the vast amount of information that's out there. Certainly, I don't believe there's been a time that our culture and we as individuals are more influenced by pop culture than today. And one thing that, that really, really concerns me, and this subject has been on my mind for some time, and, and I want to talk about this, that this morning. Our culture talks to us, speaks to us about self-empowerment. It's a buzzword that is overused in our culture. It's a concept uh, that really is attractive to our ego. It's attractive to our sin nature. We hear things like, you can do it all. We hear things like, you deserve what you've got. You should be proud of yourself and what you've accomplished. You do you. How many times have you heard that? And we hear, you must be the very best version of yourself. You know, when people say these things, when they use these kind of phrases, they are not referring to empowerment from God. In fact, self-empowerment is something that inflates our pride, inflates our ego more than it already is. Self-empowerment, by definition, is to give power to someone or to give official authority or legal power to. Self-empowerment can take on many different forms. Individual empowerment, gender empowerment, social empowerment, educational, economical, political, community, the list goes on and on. It is something that is so saturated in our culture today, and very specifically, this idea of gender empowerment, we t hear so much about female empowerment, about gender empowerment in, in general, social empowerment, all of these things on the surface sometimes may sound good to us. And as individuals, as Christians, we may look at something, some injustice that we see, or some movement out there that may sound good. It may sound noble for us to be a part of. You know, the media that, that is around us tells us it spins things in such a way that sometimes it is attractive to us. And we, we think, well, maybe that's something I should be a part of, something that that I should involve myself in. Matthew 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Is it really our place as Christians to, be our, to put ourselves in a position to endorse these ideas or these movements? Really, when we look at Scripture... We need to reflect the light of Christ. We need to be reminded that our life is a representation of Christ, of His body, and make sure that we conduct ourselves in a way that glorifies Him. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we are a Christian, when we put on Christ, all other labels go away. We need to be very careful about what we involve ourselves in. Again, our influence should be that we reflect the light of Christ in what we do. When we find ourselves caught up in these things, we must ask ourselves the question, who is influencing me? What is influencing me? It is a great concern to me when I see Christians consumed by the latest conspiracy theories or social injustice, and we just must ask, where are we getting our inspiration from? Does our inspiration come from the Bible or from the internet and social media? You know, culture impacts us as Christians every day. It impacts the way that we view things. If we read the Bible through the lens of culture, rather than understanding our culture through the lens of the Bible, we get a very distorted view of truth. 1 John 5, beginning in verse 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves who, him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Our faith is what is important. Our belief in Jesus Christ and us understanding as Christians that that is where our identity lies is so important. If we are promoting these ideas of self-empowerment or self-esteem, if we are involved in these things, our lives are giving power to anyone and everyone other than our Creator who holds all power. I'm reminded of Paul in Acts 17 where he was speaking to the people of Athens there. And as we read, it says in verse 21 that the Athenians spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear some new thing. And isn't that the culture that we live in today? Everyone is wanting to repeat the latest gossip, the latest bit of news, the latest conspiracy theory, the latest of everything. But Paul, as he spoke to those people there, he said, I observed an inscription to the unknown God. And then he goes on to relate to them or tell them about the one true God. Let's pick up the reading in verse 24. God, who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. And He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord." in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we also 
are also his offspring. Paul made known to these people the one true God. You and I have the same responsibility to God today to make God known to others. Jehovah God has the ultimate control over our lives, over the whole universe. But that being said, our God has given us a choice as to whether we yield to that control or not. We can follow His leading, or we can try to captain our own lives, which always leads to disaster. This idea of self-empowerment is just another extension of the self-help industry that has published thousands of books and generated millions of dollars. And I have to ask myself the question, is this concept of self-esteem, this concept of self-empowerment, a biblical concept? Through study of the Word, I think we can come to no other conclusion than it is absolutely not a biblical concept. Because everything we read within God's Scripture speaks of the power of God and us denying ourselves and following Him. Mark 8, beginning in verse 34, it says, When He had called the people to Himself, this is speaking of Christ, He calls the people, the crowd that was around Him, with His disciples also, He said to them, Whoever desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospels will save it. Our identity must be in Jesus Christ. Romans 12, verse 3, the Bible is very plain. It says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. Jesus' call has always been and will always be self-denial, not self-empowerment. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12 Looks like I got that out of order there. 2 Corinthians Romans 12 verse 3 says I'm sorry. I am I missed a slide here somewhere. The scripture I want to read is 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12. For our boasting is this the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. Paul said that his boasting was not in, in himself, but rather in the simplicity of the gospel. When we think of this idea of self-empowerment, the dangers are that we focus on self. It also wrongly assumes that we as an individual have the ability to change ourselves. Jeremiah 10 verse 23 plainly says it is not in man to direct his steps. It also puts the responsibility on us as individuals to shepherd ourselves. Self-empowerment depends upon humans' efforts, not God's power. And the proponents of these ideas are influencing people, Christians included, to accept an unbiblical concept. 
2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This idea of self-empowerment does just that. It stands in total opposition to God's Word. Our identity as Christians must be in Christ, and our strength comes only from Him. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We just simply can't put it any plainer. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Isn't that the very crux of the matter? It comes down to where our identity lies, and we ask ourselves the question, is our sufficiency in God and in Jesus Christ? Galatians 3 verse 27 says, or in Romans 6, we read about baptism. It says that we are baptized into Christ. Colossians 3 verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Again, our identity is in Jesus Galatians 2 speaks of us being crucified with Christ. Colossians 3 says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, when we are Christians, when we put on Christ, that is where our identity lies. It is not about me. As we consider... This idea and our response as Christians. I would like to go to Psalms. I want to read in Psalms 90. That will not be on the PowerPoint, but I want to turn and read that with you. I believe it really helps to give us a true perspective of where we're at. Psalms 90. Lord, though thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or even thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in, the sight, in thy sight are but yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up, and in the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thy anger and by thy wrath, are we troubled? Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sin, in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. 
Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy works appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. As we look at readings like this, I think there are things that we can, can learn and help us to make adjustments in our own life. What is it that Psalms 90 tells us? It says that God is eternal. It reminds us that life is short. And it reminds us to, on a daily basis, take inventory of our own lives. I believe that as we consider this psalm, we are reminded to do just that. And I hope that here on the first day of this new year that we will do that. We will look at our lives and take an inventory and make those adjustments as we see they're needed. As we do that, first of all, I think we will need to come to the understanding that we must center our lives around Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus says to His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. What does it mean to deny self? What does it mean for us to be Christ-centered? I'm reminded of David, King David in 2 Samuel 24. David had disobeyed God by numbering the armies of Israel, and God had, had punished Israel for that. David, was, uh, David repented and he was instructed by Gad to go and offer sacrifice at the threshing floor of Arana. As you read that story, David approaches uh, the Jebusite Arana and he says, I want to buy your threshing floor. Arana's response was, it's yours, you just take it. Here's the threshing floor, here's the oxen for the sacrifice, here's the wood to build the fire. He said, you take it all. But what was David's response? David's response was, he, he said, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David knew that he could not offer a sacrifice to his God that didn't cost him personally. If you and I are going to live our life for Christ, it's going to cost us something. And we each have to ask ourselves the question, what is that cost? It's going to cost us our time. It's going to cost our selfish desires. It's going to cost our leisure activity. If we are going to live for Christ, we have to be intentional in everything that we do. Daniel in Daniel 1 verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. We've got to have the mindset of Daniel. It's got to be an intentional choice that we make each and every day. We cannot just be Christians on the outside. 
we often get caught up in the things that we are doing, the things that we are involved in right now, and not being really convicted in what we're doing. We are true, if we are truly Christ-centered, that will be evidenced in our lives each day. Our Christianity will be a way of life. 1 John 2, verse 6, he who, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. We have got to follow Christ's example. That example was of self-denial and of service. Another thing that we need, a way that we need to take inventory is we've got to understand that as Christians, we must be centered around the church, around Christ's body. Hebrews 10 and verse 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We each have a responsibility within the body of Christ to stir each other up, to encourage one another. The body of Christ, this body of believers, is a community of people with one goal. I would ask each of you, what do you see as being Christ-centered? What do you see as a benefit of being a part of this group of people? I think we can all say this congregation has shared our joys, our difficulties. There are people here who love us for who we are and want to help us to be better. There are people here that encourage us. And you know, that's something that we need to take advantage of and then also return the favor and do the same thing. You know, that is simply something that we cannot get in the world. It's something that we find here within the body. And it's a true blessing that we need to be reminded of every day. Philippians 2 verse 2, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The benefits of being a part of a congregation is equal to the investment that we make. Again, I think that's something that we have to be very honest and ask ourselves about. What do we invest in this body? What do we invest in the church? It comes down to the choices that we make each and every day. The things that we choose to involve ourselves in. The things that we choose to do. It's just like any other thing that we do in life, we're going to get out of it what we put into it. I think we've always got to look at the concept of, of compound interest. And, and we, we understand that. When we put, invest money in something, we expect a return, and it's something that is built over time. That's exactly what we experience within the body. Another thing, as we take assessment of our own lives, we have to understand that our focus must be on our Christian homes. I want to read from Psalms 128. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. 
The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace upon Israel. I like this reading, and it's one that I go to very often. I've, I know that I speak a lot about the family, but it's something that's very definitely on my heart. And as I look out in this congregation and see the great blessing that we have in young people, young families, I want us to always be reminded of how important that is and how important it is for you as parents to be invested in your families. Make sure that you take the time to do that. We reference the verses very often, but Deuteronomy 6 reminds you as parents to live that in a daily way. It says to, to speak of the Lord when you lie down, when you walk by the way, when you rise up. It's a continual process, and it's something that you must do to instruct these young people. And, and as I said, I look at this congregation, and I see such a great blessing. I see a future that is very, very bright. But that is dependent upon you as parents and the teaching that, and, and the investment that you put into these families. Ephesians 6, we reference quite often, it speaks of bringing children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's the whole training and education of these young people, cultivating morals within them instructed through God's Word. You must be consistent in these things that matter. Parents, you must take your job seriously. Make sure that your children are plugged into spiritual things and take advantage of those opportunities that you have. Another thing as we take assessment, we must have compassion for others. As we look in the world around us, people are hurting. They're hurting because of the deception of the devil. They suffer because of choices that they make. And we as Christians must have compassion on them and find a way to help. Nine times in the Gospel it is said that Jesus had compassion. This is a challenge that I personally have. There's times that we look at people and see choices that they've made and it's very difficult. But we must have compassion. In John 8, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus. And they said she was caught in the very act of adultery. But what was Christ's response? His response was that he that was without sin to cast the first stone. And as they one by one left, Christ's response to the woman was, Go and sin no more. Time and time again, we see love and compassion that Christ had for those who suffered. So what is our response when we see that same suffering? 1 Peter 3, verse 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Those in the world, those who are fellow Christians, sometimes suffer difficulty. 
People experience and have struggles in their lives. And to them, it is real. You and I as individuals, as Christians, have a responsibility then to respond in a loving way just as Christ did. We need to take our soul seriously. A story that we use quite often is that of, of Mary and Martha. In Luke 10, beginning in verse 4, it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him, speaking of Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. We need to understand what is truly important. We need to take advantage of the opportunities that we've been given. We need to be like Mary and understand where our true interests should be. Christ said that Mary had chosen the good part. We need to remove things from our life that does not matter. We need to focus on our life as Christians, identifying as Christians, and following through. In conclusion, I want to read from 2 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 2. Paul said, You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tablets of the flesh, that is, of the heart. The Spirit, not the letter, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. As we look at life, as we look at the culture around us, the answer is not in me. The power is not in me. The idea of following your heart, it's a principle that we've learned from Disney movies, not from the Bible. I hope that we will all take the admit, admonition from God's Word this morning and that we will really take an assessment of our lives, that we will look at where our influence comes from and make sure that we are plugged in to biblical truth. If you're here this morning and subject to the gospel call, if you have been taught and, and would like to respond to the gospel, we would invite you to do that. If you're here today and the prayers of the body here could be of assistance to you, we would also ask you to come. Please come as we stand and sing.